welcome to The Career Couch with Dr. Carol and Friends. I am Dr. Carol Isom Barnes, host of The Career Couch, where our goal is to support you and your organization and reaching your full potential. Many of you, especially those who are project managers or are certified in specific organizational methodologies, are familiar with Lean. For those who are unfamiliar with Lean and its specific management practices, it is an organizational method used to improve efficiency and effectiveness. The core principle of Lean is to reduce and eliminate non-value adding activities and waste. It's a very well-known method in many organizations today. And today we are also fortunate to have Jamie Flinchbaugh join us to talk about his work and his books related to Lean and people solving organizational problems to get the right behaviors and build the right capabilities within an organization. Let me tell you a little bit about Jamie. After nearly three decades of coaching at every level from entry-level employees to experienced CEOs of multi-billion dollar corporation, Jamie is an author and advisor who has worked with over 300 companies around the world spanning industries such as manufacturing, healthcare, utilities, technology, government, and other professional services, which includes major organizations that we're all familiar with, such as Harley-Davidson, Intel, Mars, Amazon, Crayola, Fidelity, and Whirlpool, among others. In 2006, he co-authored the Lean bestseller, The Hitchhiker's Guide to Lean, Lessons from the Road, and his new book, People Solve Problems, The Power of Every Person, Every Day, Every Problem. He shifts the conversation and argues that organizations focus too much on problem-solving tools and templates and miss other critical elements that make a greater difference. Those elements, getting the right behaviors and building the right capabilities. His education includes two Masters of Science and Mechanical Engineering degrees from MIT and the University of Michigan, and an MBA from MIT, and a BS in Mechanical Engineering from Lehigh University, where he also serves in numerous volunteer capacities. Jamie, welcome. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's great to meet you. I'm uh, uh, pleased to be here and, and chat with you today. Absolutely. I love your extensive background. Well, I, I like to say it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not always the age, it's the mileage. So there you uh, go. I've, I've tried to do a lot of things and, 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 and get around the, around the block and around the world a few times. Wonderful. Well, you know, there are a lot of books on the market about lean Kaizen and other methodologies as needed efficiency tools, one of which is even your book from 2006. So as I looked at your current book, are you canceling out your previous book and shifting away from that with your new book? Yeah. So, so I think, you know, for starters, it's, it's one of the reasons I, I, I didn't write a book for a while um, uh, besides the fact of being busy and it takes quite a bit, bit of time, but uh, you know, I still I still stand behind uh, my first book and and the lessons it 
it was teaching and and continue to work uh, with organizations, uh, really understanding some of those some of those same principles. We still talk about some of the some of the key chapters in that in that first book. However, you know, even in that book, I do talk about you know lean being about principles and behaviors and about leadership. Those are really the first two chapters of that book, and, and so I've I've. I've said for quite a while that lean is about more than tools. With people solve problems, I'm perhaps taking that a step further, (laughs) at least in the problem solving domain and saying, not only is it not about tools, you can be successful. Not that I'm necessarily advocating you should, you can be successful without the tools. The tools still have value. They still have purpose. uh, They still help you in a structured way, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. And and, and there's other factors that really distinguish some success from, I'll say, mediocre success. So then what exactly is the problem that you feel that needs to be solved? So are we solving the problem of how to solve problems or are we solving the problem of getting better results by changing behaviors or neither? Well, and, and I'd probably say both. Um, I, I do I do start off kind of saying what's the problem with problem solving and and, and I do think, you know, problem solving, you know, goes goes well beyond, you know, lean it. it you know, there's there's Six Sigma. There was TQM before that. There's all sorts of uh, different practices over the years from Kepner Trago to Shannon sort of sort of custom package tool sets for, for solving problems. And a lot of those are, are really quite good. And I, I, I perhaps took them all at some point. But uh, when we, we start to look at how organizations really really have success or fail with those it's 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 not the tools themselves the the ones that succeed have the same tool sets of the ones that that fail uh, and in many cases they use them to the same frequency but it's the things that wrap around problem solving tools that ultimately i believe lead to success and that includes the the capabilities and skills in which we we do the work sort of off the page it's the behaviors that surround it, and it's the leadership we we insert into it that that really distinguishes the the best from the worst and and uh, successful problem solving, which ultimately is about delivering results. Um, so, like I said, it's not just about how many problems we solve, but whether that's really doing a good job and and delivering for us. So, because it centers on behaviors, are we trying to improve the the leader? The employee, or are we trying to improve the organization with the model that you're proposing in your book? Well, so so I I, I wrote this in in large part for leaders. Uh, not that other people won't get stuff out of it, but I believe it's the leader's responsibility to architect their systems, to set the context, to coach. Uh, to establish the culture, which includes those behaviors. Now, ultimately, we want our employees deeply engaged in solving problems. And a lot of that is, is uh, uh, you know, are the behaviors that surround problem solving. So I, I like to use a simple example of, you know, we can go to the gym and, and have all the fancy equipment you want and, and, you know, learn how to use it. But if your main problem is even getting to the gym in the first place, then, then then having all that equipment there isn't really useful. Having your gym membership isn't really useful. And and leaders really have to establish cultures that get people to the gym. 
or get people to solve problems or make them transparent and some of those those other things. So in, in many ways, you know, it is about organizational success, but it's about the leader's role and responsibility to put all those pieces in place that make it successful. Now, you mentioned culture. culture. And so are we talking about changing the culture or are we simply talking about making the organization more effective and more efficient? We are talking about changing culture. And, um, you know, I I think in the end, and my definition of culture is is the, the shared beliefs and behaviors that that uh, bind an organization together. I think it is about behavior change. And, um, uh, you know, we, we look at, you know, problem solving itself and how people behave in doing their problem solving, I believe makes a world of difference because most of problem solving happens, you know, inside our head. It happens with our mind. It's not just a matter of following the steps and out pops the answer. And so problem solving, perhaps more so than other practices, is one where how we behave as as individuals and as collectives really makes a huge difference or a huge set for, source of variation in the performance of our, our day-to-day problem solving. Using the gym analogy. Yes, yep. thank you. Using the gym analogy. You're not saying throw out the tools. That's not what you're saying. Is that correct? It, that, that's correct. I, I'm not saying throw out the tools. I, I will say if you're, you know, if, if you have the right behaviors and you're sitting in your hotel room, as I used to travel a lot with no no equipment, if you have the right behaviors, you can still get in a good workout. Um, but you can probably get a better workout if you go to the gym and have the tools. And, and so the problem solving tools are helpful, but they're just not the difference maker in, in terms of real success. And, and one of the reasons, one of my observations, having worked with a lot of organizations that leads, leads me to that belief is that not only if I look at the top five problem solving organizations I've worked with, you know, clients, and I look at the bottom five, they have the same sets of tools, right? The, the worst ones and the, the best ones have similar tools. And if I go look at the best ones, many of them use different tools from each other. And so, you know, the best have different tools from each other, but some of the best have the same tools as the worst. It, it really would suggest from a from a correlation standpoint that the tools are not the differentiator, but they are valuable. Right. Using that gym analogy, good equipment makes a good workout easier. So a lot of people that use those tools within organ in, within organizations, um, it's usually oftentimes project management workers. And so from a project perspective, there are three competing priorities, the scope, the finances and time. So how does what you're proposing align with these priorities? Well, so so for starters, uh, I think how you frame as a leader, right, going back to the role of the leader, how you frame problems uh, is what sets people up for success. And as they as they go into their work, as they go into engaging in a problem, you start to look at some of the things that can chew up uh, those those constraints. So just time, uh, you know, how much rework do we have in rethinking and reworking our ideas? Well, if problems are properly framed, then much less, right? Because we don't get halfway through, do a review, say, you know, you're headed down the wrong direction. 
you overstepped your boundaries, uh, so on. The ability to uh, break a problem down means that we, we focus on the parts we can do something about. Uh, we don't get distracted by all these other pieces, and we don't go looking for huge solutions to huge problems because we we understand that huge problem is actually made up of of you know a hundred or a thousand smaller problems, and so we get more efficient with our time in problem solving by by properly breaking them down. Now, again, the tools will help you do that, but you know only if you engage with them with the right mentality, the right mindset, the right the right interest, rather than simply using them as templates to fill out so that you can say you accomplished steps one, two, and three. So we're in an era where everyone's using metrics to make decisions. And so lean is really, I, I see it more as a quantitative type of tool. And when we're talking about behaviors, more than likely we're talking about metrics that are more qualitative, not even metrics, really. It's just qualitative data. In an ideal situation, where do you see these two engaging and the best problem solving techniques are aligned to support this process? In other words, where are the two intersecting so that you know that you're successful where one is quantitative and one is qualitative and you're still trying to manage the scope, the finances and the time? Yeah, so I I think for starters, uh, you know, we do look for as we shape behaviors, as we as as I coach leaders on on how to shape behaviors. Some of it is the selection of the behaviors themselves and, and making them as concrete and observable as as possible. Uh, for example, just to you know, perhaps overextend the uh, the gym analogy, is it is it getting to the gym? We're we're not going to focus on all of it and how well you work out and how long you work out. Just get to the gym, right? That's a very that's a very measurable behavior, uh, and it's and it's a very specific behavior. So if we can make the behaviors you know more narrow, more specific. And measurable, it, it makes it easier to pay attention to and practice the sort of feedback loops that that tell us whether we're getting them. Beyond that, we, we still have observation as a tool, and that's why I like to talk more about behaviors than I like to talk about mindsets. Because mindsets, beliefs, mental models, principles, those are important, and, and in fact, that's what drives our behaviors. Right. But you can't see it. You, you can't see how somebody thinks and you can't role model it. Right. You can't you can say, hey, you know, I'm thinking this way all the time. You just you just can't see it. It's behind my my glassy eyes uh, and, and it's it's there. I'm just a really, really good thinker. But I can't role model that. I can't hold people accountable. I can't observe it. But behaviors are things that we can observe. We can recognize people for them when they happen. We can hold them accountable uh, for it when they don't. And we as leaders can role model the behaviors as well. And, and so, you know, as we as we focus on those things, we, we we ask leaders to start paying attention to and observing the behaviors day in, day out. And if they're well described, it's easier to do that. And sometimes when the organizational change is big enough, we, we actually do try to measure that. And, and we're still measuring the observation, but the under the spirit that. Uh, many eyes, many observers will sort of normalize uh, the variation in how people interpret things. If we're asking everybody whether they're seeing those uh, uh, behaviors in those they interact with, 
we can get a pretty good pulse indicator about whether those behaviors are taking place or not. So we will sometimes use essentially survey tools to convert observations into metrics over large enough a population. And so let's talk about those behaviors for a moment, because one, and and I I do want to come back to an example of specific behaviors that you feel are critical elements. But when I hear observation of behaviors, my concern there is, and you know, there's so much emphasis today on unconscious bias, depending on your mental models, like we, like you mentioned, your behavior may look different from what's expected within that organization, although it may be an effective behavior. But someone who's doing the the observation may look at the behavior of a woman, of a person of color, of someone of a different uh, cultural background, and deem that behavior is not an acceptable behavior. And so I don't know how you measure behavior in a way that it is consistent and equally applied. No, I think that's a that's a very important concern. And and I, th- I think the key is to, to not leave them uh, incredibly vague, to, to understand that uh, they they are uh, specifically applied to the work. So let's use an example uh, to, to get into into that aspect. One one of the behaviors that I, I particularly have a passion around is is learn deliberately. And, and the point of that behavior is that we go into we go into problem solving with the intent to learn, that we treat it like a learning activity. Because honestly, if we already knew the answer, which which perhaps pretending we know the answer is one of the worst uh, one of the worst behaviors that we see. But if if we go if we're doing problem solving and we already know the answer, we've actually wasted the organization's time. Right. Problem solving right. is about closing gaps that we don't know how to solve. So, so we should approach it not like a set of known answers. Now, learn deliberately means you know can show up a bunch of different ways, and and we have to engage with people closely enough so that we see how how it shows up. So as an as an example, let's just go back to tools and templates. If I have a problem solving template that we've rolled out through the organization and I never see any cyclical work within that problem solving, you kind of went from A to Z in a straight line, linear fashion and and maybe not once, but all the time. Well, that, that would suggest that either you're the best problem solver in the world or uh, you're not really treating it like a learning activity. And so can I see that that you're you know, taking two steps forward and one step back and three steps forward and one step back? Are you cycling your way through your problem solving and uncovering new lessons as you go? Now, that's a behavior that that might show up in a bunch of different ways. If as a as a manager or a coach, I'm only engaged with people at the back end, at the solution end, at the you know, show me, show me the end result you had and not engage throughout the work, it's going to be much harder to observe that kind of behavior, which, which is why we, we, want, we want leaders and we particularly want coaches engaged in, in, in ways that they can see the how of the work and not just the outcomes of the work. And, and, and then that, that allows us to, 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 to look at something like, are we approaching problem solving in a learning oriented way? It, again, it might show up in different ways, 
Uh, but it's either sort of visible or we have to find ways to uncover it or we have to find ways to insert it. The other thing I'll say to that is, is, is just when it, when it comes to behaviors, this is not a reward. To me, behaviors are not a place where we reward, uh, spend a lot of time rewarding people or punishing them. We coach them, we develop them, we cultivate behaviors. This is, this is the, the, the accountability for the behaviors fundamentally falls on the leader, uh, the leader who's shaping them. So do you think it's important if an organization is going to focus on behaviors versus tools and templates that they have coaches that are guiding them through this process? I think coaches are perhaps the most important thing because they, 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 in fact, I, I actually have a section on the role of the leader in the book and I, I wanted to put coaching as one of the roles of the leader, just sort of as a, as a subset of the, of the role of the leader. And, and I have sort of so much to say about coaching. I'm like, yeah, let me pull that out and make it its own section. I think coaches, whether it's a formal role uh, or it's a formal task or, or uh, aspect that we play or just something that we embed in into the work itself, I think it's one of the most important things. And, and one of the reasons, going back to your, your point around the concern of biases and, and differences, is that problem solving is something that we've all grown up with, right? We, we started problem solving when we were infants. And our educational backgrounds, our, our upbringing, our experience, life experiences, our different career paths, Right. This one employee that worked at 10 different companies and this other person who's worked here for 20 years, they've all had different experiences that have helped shape their problem solving. Mm -hmm. And so we can't just train it into place, train it into place and say, this is the new expectation. It's actually about leveraging the, the strengths that somebody brings with all of those, you know, life experiences and backgrounds while cultivating, helping them see blind spots, because we, we, we ultimately have those, see blind spots and then cultivate and close our own gaps uh, in that. And so coaching can be much more personal to take somebody from where they are to, 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 something, uh, to something better, as opposed to, uh, I'll say, training and just deploying a standard that, you know, some people will be you know, already well, better suited for than others based on how that's defined. And so I think coaching is in the work. It's meant to be a trusted relationship. And I think, you know, the gold standard is that every employee should be no more than one degree of separation removed from someone who can coach them, whether that that degree of separation is geography, meaning it's in my building or uh, by shift because I have somebody on my shift versus another shift or organizational charts. You know, is it my boss or is it somebody on my team or is it five, five teams over? Every employee should have access to a coach to help help them cultivate their abilities and their practices. So let's say I'm an, an organization I'm a leader in the organization. I'm listening to this podcast and I think, okay, I like exactly what Jamie's talking about. I'm going to put less emphasis on problem solving tools and templates, more emphasis on problem solving um, through analysis of identifying and analyzing behaviors, for example. How do you know when you get there? How do you know when you're 
when you're successful? Yeah, I, I think for starters, you know, I, I'll say this, and this is this will sound like a bit of a, a, a backpedal answer, but I, I think each leader does have to define that for themselves, at least in terms of, you know, the stages that they go through. Where, what am I looking for today? What am I looking for tomorrow? What am I looking for over the next year? I, I think there's, there's many different pathways to get to excellence. And you kind of have to look at where are we struggling and what do I need to emphasize? I, I think trying to tackle all of this all at once is uh, uh, is very difficult. But th- in a broader statement, what I would say is, how do you know you're getting there? It's because you see the behaviors and the practices happening more on an informal basis than a formal basis, meaning that people are choosing to do these things because it works for them, because it helps them, because it helps them perform rather than just because there's a formal expectation or a performance review or a process that requires that, you know, when you get to this step, you have to do this, this tool. So when you see people, you know, just doing it on the back of an envelope or on a whiteboard or, you know, on, of their own, um, of their own volition and the formal, or I'm sorry, the informal to the formal ratio starts to go up. That's when you know you're starting your culture is starting to take take shape. Uh, people are doing things because they know they're the right things to do, not because they're required or processes force them to. Uh, that's the that, that to me is the is the main indicator. Now the, the trick in that is that if you try to convert that into a formal metric, it 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 loses its it loses its value because. Uh, now, now it's all. How do you how do you track the informal on a metric level? Well, you have to make the informal formal, and now, now you've lost uh, um, all of all of the uh, the the validity in it. So, so you have to pay attention to it. You have to stop and reflect and observe over periods of time to see whether whether that culture is really taking hold and starting to drive the activity on its own accord. So for someone who is currently using you know, these methodologies that we were talking about, you know, they're going to have a mindset of measures. And that mindset of, might be if you don't measure it, um, how can you Im- improve it? And so what do you say to that person? Yeah, so so um, I think there's different ways to measure. So so I'll, I actually had this this conversation today with a group of internal coaches at a client. So these are all people who's who have a job, they have a, what we call a day job, right? But this is now a new part of their day job. Um, they have a new expectation on being coaches inside the organization. And, and so they, they actually were asking me the same question. So we, we talked about that. And I think, I think there's importance of separating process from results. So on the results side, you know, there, there's, I think, two ways to measure at least coaching, now let me start there because I think that is the, the high leverage point for this. One is, are we getting the results that we want? Now, there's not, a, there's not a direct, immediate, singular correlation between how well we're coaching and how well we're using these methods and the results. There's other factors that will will drive results, uh, <laughs> including the economy, right? We used to we used to have a phrase that said when the when in a strong wind, even a turkey will fly. And so, you know, hey, gr- results are great. Well, is it because of something we did or not? But overall, 
we, we, we should look at the performance results of our work and, and, and know that if those are going in the right direction. The other thing I'd say is, is sort of the referrals, right? Meaning are people talking about it? Maybe they aren't actually referring coaching or not, but directly and saying, you should go work with this person. But are people talking about the work that they're doing? That's sort of an outcome from that standpoint. Now, on the process side, I think um, the number one, the, the, I'll say there's two main things that I, I like looking for that I think really are good indicators of whether this is producing a result. One is the accountability, meaning are people actually you know, getting stuff done? Are they doing what they said they would do? And this is where a coach can really observe this because, you know, when they go meet with somebody, it's like, well, did, did you do these things or didn't you do these things? If the coach has to provide the accountability, there's no ownership, there's no drive, there's no, uh, there's no culture. And so just seeing the accountability of people getting this stuff done on their own with their own, their own commitments is to me a, a pretty strong indicator of, of success. The other is when people have insights outside of the engagement with a leader, outside of the engagement with a tool, outside of their engagement with a formal process, when they come back into a meeting and say, ooh, you know, I, I had this, this aha, I had this insight, I had this idea, you know, problem solving does require intuition. It does require creativity. We can't, that doesn't all happen on the page and in the meeting. And we know that we are stoking the full human potential that dry, that pulls in that creativity and that intuition when those aha moments happen, happen off the page, happen outside the meeting, and you're seeing them show up. Now, again, that's a very, it's very observable condition. Can you convert it into a true metric? Hmm. I, I think you can if you want to, if you really want to convert that into a metric, but it's still a very sort of, I'll say binary observable condition, whether that's happening or not is, is observable and is a great indicator about whether this stuff is really working or if people are still, I'll say pencil whipping their, their tools and templates. You know, I have so many questions here because I'm also thinking if I'm the leader and I'm responsible for making sure that X project is successful. It comes in on budget. It comes in on time. And now you're asking me to be a coach in the midst of all of this. It sounds like a lot and it sounds like it could potentially be expensive. Well, I, I think it's, it's, it can be expensive in terms of time investment, not necessarily cash. And, and, Quite frankly, train the coach. Right. Because a lot of leaders are not necessarily coaches that I mean, those are two different skill sets to a large degree. They are. They are. They are different skill sets. I think that that coaching capability has to be developed and um, and 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 coaches can develop coaches. You know, I think that's part of building coaches is you need you need some master coaches who will will build that. Um, I do think you have to find the right reason to start. And you have to manage the balance between risk and experimentation and learning, right? So as a, as a former weekly traveler, I would say if there's, there's two potential routes to the airport, I've got a flight to catch. I've got one way that I know will work. I've got another way that could be better, but might not work. Well, I'm going to try the one that works, right? That's the one I'm going to go with, 
even if the other one might be better, I can't take that risk. And so, so we have to understand, uh, A, where is the benefit? Where's the risk? In a lot of cases, I have, I have leaders I work with where they are afraid of taking the risk, but what they're doing today isn't working. They're not catching their flight on time, right? Their projects aren't on time. They're not on, 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 you know, within budget. And so they're worried about the rest risk and, um, and it's like, well, against what, against what you're doing today, which isn't working. Now, if what is, what you do have today is working and it's about just getting better, start small, right? You have to, I think this is, super important. And I, and I think it's, it's a good advice anyway, start small, start with one behavior, start with uh, one change, start with, you know, don't, don't try to transform every person, every system, every framework, every expectation all at once. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if nothing else, you as a leader have to say, I'm not equipped for that, no matter how bold and, and, and and arrogant we want to be, I'm not equipped for that. So how can I increase the chances of success? Start small. What one behavior do you think would be a good behavior to start with? Because we know 70% of most project fails. 70%. That's a lot of projects that's failing. And only two and a half percent of companies successfully complete 100% of their projects according to Gallup. So like you said, you're already coming out of the gate with these type of statistics. And so now you're asking me to take a risk when 70% of most projects fail. Yep. So what one behavior would you say would be a great behavior that perhaps could improve those statistics? So I, I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying that's a good case by case kind of question. And cause each team might have different behaviors that are holding them back. That being said, I think two great places to start. One is a culture of ownership, meaning that, you know, I, I own this. I own this task. I own this problem. I, I am going to work it. And that sense of ownership is, is not about saying somebody should fix this. It's not about playing a victim. It's not about pointing figure, fingers. I, I may only be able to control what I can control and influence what I can influence, but I at least am taking ownership and not waiting for somebody to fix stuff for me. So I think that is a, is a, is a great starting point. I think another great starting point, but a different one is focusing on collaboration and, and in particular early collaboration. Don't, don't have pre-meetings to make sure what are we willing to share? What are we not willing to share before we go work with another department? It's open, it's transparent, it's engaged, it's collaborative. That means early collaboration. And, and the reason, the reason I think that one is very useful to focus on early is that once you start collaborating, you have to pay more attention to how you work because you have to work together. And so when you, when you retreat into your silo, you can kind of work your own way and you don't have to even think about how you work. You just go on autopilot. When you start to collaborate early, you have to be more thoughtful about the how. And, and to me, my belief, my observation is that once you get more thoughtful about the how, you also get more curious about the how, you get more willing to experiment about the how, and then ultimately you have a chance to improve the how. So I think collaboration is uh, an early collaboration is a great gateway into some of the other things that I think can improve, improve problem solving and success. 
or just holding people accountable for that, like putting it on their um, performance review and cascading it down, collaboration? I, I think that uh, that's generally not where I like to start because okay. because I think, you know, what I always worry about is, sure, I had that meeting. And so what's the minimum I have to do to meet the performance evaluation? And, and that's not really in the spirit of the behavior. So I, I believe that, you know, I think you can get there through accountability, through performance evaluation. But to me, I would I would focus more on the recognition and the positive reinforcement, first with the leader starting to role model the transparency, the vulnerability that, that collaboration requires, and then getting others to do that as well. And, and, yeah. and shutting down the, the non-collaborative stuff, like the pre-meetings and the hiding stuff and the, the putting boundary conditions around whether or not, you know, under what conditions you're willing to collaborate, but doing so openly so you see, I think the leader can 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 really role model that early yeah, on. Sets the stage always. Leader always sets the stage. Well, thank you, Jamie, for joining today. It's been quite a few years since I've had any conversations that really talked about lean and Kaizen and all of these methodologies. And I love the intersection um, with the behaviors. So I appreciate you joining us and enlightening us and sharing with us your new book. And the new book is entitled, again, People Solve Problems, The Power of Every Person, Every Day, every problem. Jamie, where can the listeners locate you and your book? Well, probably the easiest uh, thing is at jflinch.com. That's my website. And there's a a quick link to the book there and they can find me. Uh, They can also find me on LinkedIn uh, pretty easily. I, I try to remain active there. Uh, you know, Jamie Flinchball, there's, there's, I'm pretty sure there's still only one of me. As long as you spell it right, you can find, find me on LinkedIn at Jamie Flinchball. And that's F-L-I-N-C-H-B-A-U-G-H. That's correct. All right. Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you, Jamie, for being here. Listeners, have a great day. I look forward to connecting with you in two weeks. Take care. I'm Dr. Carol Ison Barnes, and you can find me on experienceleadership.com. Jamie, thank you so much. This is very, very enlightening. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you.